when Dave called me the only, it was like the sun opened up and I just immediately felt like he saw me and understood some of the challenges and barriers that I have. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Today, I am joined by Angel Henry. Angel has been in IT for over 20 years. Her focus has been on project management. She is a recognized thought leader on the topic of the agile mindset, helping organizations create an environment of innovation and productivity. Angel is joining us to help us continue a conversation we started over a year ago on Status Go, the conversation about race in tech. Angel works at the intersection of being Black, being a woman, and working in tech sometimes a very lonely intersection in which to work. Angel's new book, Dents in a Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through, chronicles the stories of 30 women, including Angel, and provides real insights and real actions to help us all break through together. Whether you look like Angel, a woman of color in a leadership role in tech, or are an aspiring leader of color, or whether you look like me, a white male technology executive, you are going to walk away today with fresh perspectives, new insights, and actions to help move the needle. Welcome to the show, Angel. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm happy to be here. As I said earlier, when I saw this recording on our schedule today, it, it put a smile on my face because I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you ever since we started planning this episode. And your journey, your personal journey, is such an important part of the story here. So I'd like to start there. Take us on your journey. Absolutely. Well, first off, it all starts with an organization called Inroads. So picture this, it's probably the mid to late 90s. I am um, from Ohio originally, so a Buckeye born and raised. And I was in my junior year of high school and our guidance counselor pulled in myself and about 20 to 25 other minority students into this room and said, there's an organization here called Inroads that wants to speak with you. So I found out later that it, it was most of us that were in the, the AP course group and we had all taken our PSATs and I guess that we scored high enough to be considered for this program. And so Inroads is specifically geared towards minority students that are in degreed institutions that are majoring in marketing, finance, or computers. And they take you through your college uh, journey, right? You get trained on your resume writing, how to interview, um, how to dress for corporate America, how to speak the corporate America language. And those sessions are every Saturday or every other Saturday in the morning, 8 to 12. I'll never forget that being at the University of Cincinnati uh, in one of their lecture halls, 8 a.m., 
dressed in a suit, <laughs> learning how to be in corporate America. And then at the end of that training program, there's a huge uh, job fair and you're interviewing to get your first internship. So I can say I had my first internship the moment I graduated from high school that, that summer. So while my, my peers were working at the mall or at the pizza parlor, um, I was learning how to code <laughs> and it was a paid internship, right? So you're getting, you're getting that skill set. You're, you're actually getting pretty much a living wage for one person at that time. And I did that for, I did five internships total uh, yeah. every summer. And those just obviously build upon each other. And so that final internship was with a pharma company here in Indianapolis and I joined them full time. And the plan was that I was going to start my IT career in Indiana and then transition to the East Coast where all my friends and family were at, Virginia, D.C. metro area, right? Nice, slick, cool place to live. I was going to get a condo and party with my friends. (laughs) And I ended up staying in Indianapolis. It's been almost 20 years here now you know, a long journey in the pharma and then healthcare. And now I'm uh, in telecom. We are glad that you uh, remained here in, in Indiana. We're, we're glad you're a transplanted Buckeye. We'll try not to hold that against you too much. <laughs> um, one of the first times that I heard you speak, you were on a panel discussing race in tech. Uh, you probably remember that. You spoke of something that really struck me. It was one of those moments that you hear somebody say something and it's just this, oh my gosh, moment that it just resonates. You spoke of being the only, the only person of color, the only female, the only one at that intersection. I know in recent years, you have dedicated your time and talents to speak with others who may be the only. What are some of the things that you share with them? Um, it's it's it been a long time coming. It wasn't easy to acknowledge that uh, in the beginning. And ironically, the person who acknowledged that for me was my supervisor. So a gentleman named Dave um, that I worked with for years, uh, I was a part of a project management office and was the only African-American female uh, program manager. And I was actually one of the youngest in that group as well. And so in a one-on-one session, we were doing a performance review conversation and he was giving me feedback and he said, you know what, whatever little feedback that you've got from your customers or, or peers at this point, just take it with a grain of salt angel, because let's face it, you're the only he said, you're, you're the only African-American female. You're the youngest I have on my team. He said, and you are, you're hanging with the big boys. You are going toe to toe and you are doing a phenomenal job. So whatever correction or feedback or developmental areas that we have to work on, don't let it discourage you. You're doing a great job. And when he, when Dave called me the only, that just it was like the sun opened up and I'm like oh, he he sees me I'm acknowledged 
He knows some, I just immediately felt like he saw me and understood some of the challenges and barriers that I have, um, especially when it came to speaking up, right? So whenever I'm offering my opinion about a particular project or directive, or I'm making a suggestion about what we should do, I'm always filtering. A hundred percent of the time, I'm always thinking to myself, should I say this? If I'm challenged, will I look dumb if I say this? Will I look not smart if I provide this technical opinion and I'm not a core techie? Because by the way, through all those internships, I learned one thing, and that is I am not a developer. So kudos to anybody (laughs) out there who that's where they made their bones. Um, I came up in the business analyst and project management space. And so whenever I speak, even to this day, I I don't filter as much, but I do constantly check myself to make sure that I have a well-crafted, articulate argument. And I learned from Dave and many other allies and mentors that it's most important for, for me especially to garner that support in my idea or suggestion before we even get to the meeting. That I have to have, I have to go the extra mile to have allies in my corner um, if I'm going to champion an idea and actually be heard. So there's just a lot of extra work that has to happen in order to even, you know, be on par with my counterparts that um, those that are in the majority just don't have to deal with. That goes along with with some of the things that I read. I read the book a couple of years ago, probably about the same time you and I were meeting, What Works for Women at Work. Uh, And one of the things that they talk about in there is women, and especially women of color, feel like they have to work harder than everyone else. And even the energy that it takes to apply that filter has got to be exhausting. Yes. Um, it's actually tangible in terms of the exhaustion. So whenever we, we would have an energy read at our company, we would do uh, what we call, uh, think Myers-Briggs personality mm-hmm. tests, right? Yeah. So there's this one type of personality test, very much like Myers-Briggs or Discover Your Strengths or one of those, but it gives you a color reading, right? And so if you're naturally one color, if I'm naturally introvert, Mm-hmm. And I am constantly shifting to be red, if you will, to be driver, yes. to to lead the team versus just, you know, sitting back and allowing myself time to think. But I'm constantly on. So I'm constantly talking. That's just more energy that I'm expending. And again, even though I'm a woman of color, you can liken that to someone who has a different personality trait than what they're used to. So all the introverts right. out there. Um, that are listening, you can absolutely relate to the extra emotional tax that it takes to be on at work and to be on on Zoom all the time, right? right? And just think about how different it is from being relaxed in your PJs and you're super comfortable and you're having a conversation on Zoom with your uh, relative versus being in a three-piece suit and presenting on a stage in front of 200 people on Zoom. So just think of the comfortability level that you have between being in your PJs relaxed versus 
three-piece button suit and you're and you're talking and you're trying to you know present that difference that I'm describing is exactly the same difference that we deal with on an everyday basis so you feel like you're kind of putting on a different identity a little bit that's not quite your most relaxed self and so that energy that you're expending is quite exhausting so by the time you get home you're just you got nothing left Yeah. So what have you done to, I don't know if the right word is compensate, but uh, how have you learned to manage that? Do you put different things in your schedule to help you get that, that peace or that rest? How have you done that? Yeah. Great question. Um, So no, I'm still working on the, how to manage my energy. I I'm really not great at that. Um, My husband and family will tell you when I, when I'm off, I'm off. I'll like go in a room before when we were physically going into the office, I did have a rule that the moment I got home, I needed 20 to 30 minutes. Like no one talks to mommy Uh for 20 or 30 minutes. And I would just go in the, in our bedroom, deep in the closet and just put on my jammies and get comfortable and just take a, take a moment. Yeah. But in addition to that, at work, though, what I've learned to do is to be purposeful and calculating about finding who my allies are. And Uh, and I will, if you will, interview people. So when I'm having a conversation with them, I'm actually trying to garner through emotional intelligence if there's someone that is open minded if there's someone that I can, you know, share an idea with that would listen and offer feedback, if there's someone that I can trust or not, especially when you first start an organization, you're kind of going through this tester mode to see who's who's in my corner and who isn't. And there's actually a phenomenon um, that I encourage the, the listening audience to research, and it's called pet to threat. And pet, P-E-T, Pet to threat is the notion of whenever someone of color or someone different than the group joins the organization or the company, they're the pet. They're treated wonderfully, right? They're invited to all the meetings. They're included in all the lunches. They're on every Zoom call and people will purposefully ask for their opinion. So when you first join, they'll say, hey, Angel, what do you think? Or, you know, hey, I know you're new here. I know you've only been here for a couple of months, but should we change our process? Or what did you see at your other company that we could adopt at this company that could help help us improve, right? You're sought after. You kind of get used to being the go-to person and getting the person that's asking questions and being included Mm -hmm. to the point where it becomes kind of natural and the norm until it doesn't. Uh-huh. And, and usually the until it doesn't is when that person, when we start to get comfortable and it's usually about nine months to a year into your role, maybe a little longer where you start to be like, I know I got this. I understand what I'm doing. Let me push the envelope here and making changes. And the moment you start to become that change agent and push the status quo or you um, have a, a complete disagreement with your supervisor or someone that has a lot of political power and capital, right? When you go toe-to-toe with that person and you find out who the winner is, (laughs) that will quickly let you know if you've become what they consider a threat. And then all of a sudden, your ideas aren't being supported as much. 
you're being left out of meetings, you're finding out things second and third hand, and you're thinking, what is going on here? And it's, it's a unique phenomenon that happens, but unfortunately, it's pretty common for women of color. And so what one of the coaches that I interviewed for the book, what he said that just blew my mind, Jeff. I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, no one ever told me this. He said, he challenged me and he said, well, Angel, it's my opinion that women, particularly women of color, stay in their role way too long. He was like, after three to four years, what what else are you gaining? What skill sets and experience and knowledge are you gaining at that point? It's time to move on. But I talk to women all the time who are in their roles for five plus years. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, it's because we're trying to master that particular role. If I'm a manager, I want to master being a manager before I can get to director. And he said, who said? Who said you have to master a role before you get to the next one? Don't you just need enough from that role in order to catapult you and make you successful to the at the next one? Yeah. And I just <laughs> it took the wind <laughs> out of my sails when I heard yeah. that because we you know we do. We're in IT. We compare. We compare those that come in at the same time that we do, and we compare our career trajectories. And when you look and you see, well, man, I've been hanging out at manager and director for a really long time versus the other guy who came in either after me or around the same time, man, he's already at VP. What am I doing wrong? And, you know, and then that just leads you to a whole nother, (laughs) whole nother topic. But yes, so I, I personally, to try to combat the pet to threat, to try to, you know, somehow garnish my energy it's it's truly partnerships and Mm -hmm. allies at work well you have a new title your title is that of author which is a really cool title and i had the distinct honor and privilege and i i mean that sincerely of reading an advanced copy i was so so thrilled when you reached out to have me read your book For our listeners, I should mention that Angel's book, Dents in the Ceiling, is available on Amazon. Feel free to uh, order your copy today after you listen to this program. We'll provide a link to it in the show notes. Anyway, uh, end of commercial. (laughs) I I love the book and the way that you told your story. What I really appreciated about it is the way that you wove other women's stories in. Can you share some of the stories and insights For those emerging leaders in our audience. Absolutely. Yeah, Dents in the Ceiling is meant to be a playbook. Um, How that came about is I was working at a company and my cousin reached out to me and she said she was in the help desk space and not sure if she should move up or not, if she should make IT her career path. And, you know, myself and one other cousin are the only two that she knew that were African-American women in IT in our family. So, hey, why not reach out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got the bright idea to have her come and shadow me. She came from Ohio and she spent the day with me. And the company that I was working with at the time was so gracious. I told them what I was doing. They allowed her to sit in on team meetings. Um, some of the senior leaders had lunch with her. It was a great experience. And so she got to see kind of firsthand what a career in IT could potentially be like for her. 
And through that encouragement, she shared with me a troublesome story where she said that she was doing some testing, helping a team conduct testing, and she had to physically plug something in. Now, keep in mind, this is after her and one of the lead testers had a bit of an argument about the results of the, te- of the system that they were testing. Mm-hmm. The person was arguing, saying that the test results did not pass. And she was saying, well, technically, the way you wrote the script, it did pass. But if you don't like the outcome, then we can document that and move on. And that person didn't like that particular suggestion. They wanted to fail the script. So they're having a little tussle. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. something under the table was unplugged. So she bent down to plug it in. And as she was coming up, the person kicked her, (gasps) physically kicked her in the shins. And she looked and she said, oh, my God, is that what we're doing now? And the woman was like, oh, sorry, you know, kind of real snippy and, you know, physically moved away from her and folded her arms. So it was obviously a purposeful kick. Yeah. And. I said, well, look, I personally have never been kicked in the shins before (laughs) has been in IT. I said, however, I have had some pretty contentious arguments with IT leaders um, where they were being downright rude and disrespectful, you know, Mm -hmm. where a couple of times they had to come back and apologize. So that led to a whole nother conversation with her and I about how she can prepare herself. If she's choosing to go down this path of IT, here are some key points that you need to know. And I told her what what I tell everyone. I tell get a personal board of directors. Make sure you have an advisor, a mentor, and a sponsor, and know the difference between those three. Don't mix them up. Don't don't make that mistake. Um, and, And I do go through that in the book in terms of how to do that correctly. And then, you know, I told her how important it is to diversify her network. I said, you know, you got to you got to be prepared that you're going to be the only. So if you're looking for someone to mentor you, don't wait for it to be another (laughs) African-American female, honey, you will be waiting. So it, you know, make sure that you diversify your network and include um, those that are in the majority in your personal network that you can, you know, bounce ideas off of and ask, ask career advice for. And then as I started telling her these things that, again, that I've told many other emerging leaders over the years who want to get into IT or project management, I said, you know, I I should probably write this down and and put it on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And so my intent was to create a three-page LinkedIn manuscript and put it out there for others to, other emerging leaders to have at their disposal. And then, of course, I got the bright idea to ask other women that look like me their experiences. So I could pepper those in, in the article. And obviously Jeff, that three page article <laughs> turned into a little bit more than three pages. A page book. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story because like the whole story behind dents in the ceiling, it's so personal. It's your story. You wrote the book because of this relative and you wanted to provide this guidance to those who were kind of following after you in some ways, right? As you think about the, I think there was approximately 30 women that you interviewed. Uh, Does one or two stand out to you that you could share with our audience? 
Oh, absolutely. The one that I will I will share for emerging leaders that is so impactful and positive is that this particular lady was an analyst in her company and she literally graduated and was only maybe 2 years into working at the company full time. She was already advocating for other interns. So she was a part of a panel that would assess the interns throughout their internship. And she had taken a couple of the interns under their wing and knew their story personally. So when it came time for evaluation of their performance, it got personal. She noticed that these particular interns that were African-American, male and female, the, their backstory, where they came from, um, who they were, that was actually entering into the performance management conversation. And she spoke up. She was brave enough. Wow. I said, you know, honestly, at that level, being only a year or two in, I don't think I had a voice to where I felt comfortable with speaking up or, or speaking out against the status quo. If the rest of the, if the majority in the room thought that this person wasn't a good candidate to ask back and I disagreed, at that stage in my career, I don't know if I would have been able to speak up and speak out, but yeah. she did. So I love the fact that she's already advocating and had enough confidence in mm -hmm. herself to where she pushed back and, and was able to add additional information that helped them uh, retain both of those interns. So that was awesome. Now, the other story that I'm still blown away by it was the most overt. A lot of the women that shared their stories and their journeys, one reading it could argue that, no, it's got nothing to do with the fact that they were female or no, it's got mm -hmm. nothing to do with the fact that they were African-American. It was just that they were junior or, you know, maybe they had ruffled the wrong feathers or maybe they, you know, didn't have emo enough emotional intelligence to read the room, whatever. You can kind of wipe away or push to the side a lot. And that actually is what happens to us a lot. When we are brave enough to share our story and share our lived experience and what happens to us, very often we're met with that couldn't have happened. Or, well, it's not because you're black, you know, or it's not, no, that's not because you're a female and there, and another excuse is given. Happens all the time. But one story that you could not deny is an African-American woman who she forgot this had happened to her, Jeff. That was the crazy part about when we were talking. When I first interviewed her, she said, oh, Angel, I'm sorry. I really don't have anything that happened to me. I had a great run in science and I never really had any adverse events. And as we were getting off the call, she said, oh, wait, there is one thing that happened. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I had to sit back in my chair and kind of, you know, hold my chest. I'm, I'm like, uh -huh. oh, my God. She was turned down for a position that she was more than qualified for and had all of the degrees and all of the recommendations. The person who was going to be her direct supervisor had personally recommended her for the job and had wrote her recommendation. So essentially, the hiring manager who was female, you know, should have taken her direct reports word at that says, okay, this is the best person for the job. I, I will support you in this. But no, no. The woman said, oh, you must be entitled. You think you're owed this job. And she's thinking, what did I do or say that would make you think that? 
And the woman just was turned off. And she said, you know, not even halfway through the interview, she realized that this woman was never going to offer her this position. And she had already made up her mind about her before she had even walked in the door. Now, she suspected that it was because of her inclusion and DE&I work, diversity, equity, inclusion work that Mm -hmm. she had done at the company. And she was very vocal and kind of a key figure in that space, in that movement. So she suspected that this woman was not a supporter of that. And that's probably why she didn't get the job, but she couldn't quite prove it until an email came out Uh (laughs) and there was tangible evidence that she did not get that job because of who she was. Wow. The most clear cut overt case. Now, thank goodness in that case, the company, the execs read the email and exited that person, but she now had evidence that of why she didn't get the job. Wow. It's amazing to me that something that concrete, uh, she kind of buried in her memories. And it was really the conversation with you that pulled that memory to the surface for her. Yeah, That's fascinating because I, I think you tell so many great stories in the book and it just scratches the surface, right? There's These stories are repeated over and over and over again. And many times, person doesn't even consciously remember them because they've just buried it so deep. Exactly. Well, I'd like to turn our attention to those that look like me. So for those who can't see me, I'm an old white dude, right? In all seriousness, the majority of those in tech are white males. This is especially true when you look at the executive leadership ranks. So Angel, for a minute or two here, talk to me. What insights do you want to share with me as a white male executive in tech? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say two main things that I talk to uh, folks that want to be active allies. In the wake of George Floyd and our dear brother's death, there has been an enormous amount of um, energy, in this, particularly in the tech space, about Mm -hmm. how we can go about supporting our African-American brothers and sisters and Latinx and, you know, LGBTQ and those that are, um, that might have, you know, physical challenges. Anyone that is not a Christian, heterosexual, able-bodied white man, if you don't fit in that category, what can we do to help? And I would say the, the first thing is diversify your network. But here's the challenge in how to do so. It do, you don't have to start with someone who, if the majority of your network are Caucasian white men, start with networking with women, okay? Yeah. Just start there. Just reach out to the women that are on your team, the direct reports, and have a conversation. And I love the way she framed it. Her name is Amy Waninger. Yes. The uh, network beyond bias. And she walks you through a framework in terms of how to have a a normal, healthy, exploratory conversation with someone where it doesn't have to be too intense. It's literally a 20 or 30 minute Zoom call or coffee Mm -hmm. chat to just say, hey, how are you? How was your weekend? What'd you do? I mean, most people, especially in tech, they're expecting that you're going to want something from them. If you schedule, if you slap a meeting on someone's calendar, they're going to think, what report didn't you get? What server mm-hmm. crashed? What client is upset? 
what deadline did I miss? And you're not coming with any of that. You have no agenda other than just to meet the person and get to know them. And recognize that it might take a couple of meetings because our wall is going to be up. We're going to be defensive. We're not going to trust you. We're going to think this person is buttering me up because they want something. So just know that and Mm -hmm. just, you know, start with yourself. Hey, I just, I'm in IT and I see here that, you know, your background is in project management. I didn't grow up in that space. How did you get to this, you know, spot if you, if you don't know the person that well, Um, or if you have some sort of rapport with them, start there. And just talk about their weekend and how they're how they've dealt with COVID, how they've dealt post-COVID. Do they have travel plans? And just start getting, you know, further and further out there and, and having a normal, regular, healthy conversation. And once you get comfortable with that, then you do that exact same thing with someone who's African American. You do that exact same thing with someone who is openly identified as LGBTQ. Please don't ask people <laughs> if they have or not, if you're searching or looking at, you'll find it on LinkedIn. Everybody's got their gender pronouns up these days. So you'll be able to find someone who ha- is openly um, identifying in that community and just have a conversation. And just today, just, it absolutely happened just a few hours ago where a gentleman and I were talking and he asked, he said, Angel, I'm not sure. Is it okay to use the word black or should I, should I use Mm -hmm. African-American? Which one do you prefer? Is one truly offensive or not? Right. And it came from such a genuine place that I was absolutely not offended. Right. So you do have to be genuine about seeking these people out. And then I will say too, if you're, if you're um, a manager, director, SVP, you're pretty high up there. You don't have a lot of time. Just try to carve out one or two meetings a month if that's all you have. But you have to start somewhere. And it's okay if you put your foot in your mouth by accident and you say something, you just acknowledge it and keep going. Like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to ask you that question. If that's too personal, let's just keep going. People will appreciate your your candor and your ability to you know be empathetic and be vulnerable Um, because it's so rare. Right. Yes. And I get it. Caucasian men are so scared. And again, that's one of the things that my coach has coached me on in terms of how to get candid, real feedback from my supervisor who has multiple degrees of separation from me. And he said, Angel, white men are scared. They don't Mm -hmm. want to put their foot in their mouth. They don't want to seem insensitive or empathetic. And last thing they want is a trip to H.R., so, so we're yep. kind of paralyzed and we really don't do anything or say anything for fear of getting in trouble. So it, we actually have to make it a bit more of an environment to where it's inclusive and say, it's okay to talk about these things, right? It's okay to reach out. And I offer myself up, right? Look me up on LinkedIn. If you're preparing for a conversation with somebody that's multiple degrees of separation to you and you're nervous and you're not exactly sure what to say, reach out and say, hey, I'm preparing for a discussion. What what do I say to them? And then lastly, I say, once you diversify, shut up and listen. (laughs) I mean, you know, we started off this talk where I said, so often these stories, my story, the women's stories in this book are discounted. If we were to share them one by one, 
they would get minimized or just totally discounted as it being something else other than our gender or our color. And I just say, man, just when you ask somebody to tell their story, shut up and listen to their story and don't try to excuse it. If it makes you uncomfortable, be uncomfortable. But the last thing you need to do is discount it. If you don't have anything to say, then say, thank you for sharing your story. And if you don't agree, or if you think there's more to the story than what they shared, keep that opinion to yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I've got so many great quotes from you today, Angel. I knew I knew that was going to be the case, but uh, I, I think shut up and listen is going to be my favorite. I might get a t-shirt with that. You're right. I think that'd be great. This has been a fantastic conversation. However, just like in your book, we want to leave people with some actions they can take today. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for three actions. Our conversation today focused on three audiences, those who look like you already in leadership roles, those who are emerging leaders, and those who look like me, emerging and established leaders. What actions can we all take tomorrow because of our conversation today? So audience one, those that look like you. Um, if you are an African-American female or a minority female, period, minority female, and you are looking to advance your career, maybe from mid-manager, director, upward to senior level and onto the C-suite, you need a sponsor. If you don't do anything else, you need to find a sponsor, someone that has enough social and political capital high up enough in the organization that can sponsor you to that next level. Excellent. Now, the second audience, emerging leaders, those that are coming behind you and some of the women that you quote in the book, what advice do you have for them? Um, find your voice. You have value the moment you stepped onto that company in their seat, the moment you joined, you have value. Do not be scared to speak up in a meeting. Do not be scared to offer an opinion. Do not be scared to share your idea. Now you have, of course, to, to utilize your network to make sure that you're doing it and doing it effectively for that organization that you're in, because every organization has their own little culture that you have to learn to navigate. So you have to do, you know, you're going to have to study your company in order to be successful. But take it from me, they didn't hire you and they're not paying you every two weeks for nothing. So find your voice and use it. Okay, audience three, those that look like me, what advice? In addition to shut up and listen, which I have, I'm already taking that one. So you got to come up with something different. <laughs> That's easy. Literally tomorrow, your action is to put a 30-minute meeting on a calendar with someone that doesn't look like you. And it can be someone in a different department, right? You can just start there. Um, if you're in IT, reach out to somebody in finance, reach out to somebody in HR, reach out to somebody in marketing and just have a conversation and keep that going. But tomorrow, your job is to put that on the calendar with someone that has a different degree than you, whether that's race, gender, culture, ethnicity, 
or as simple as they're just not in IT. Because <laughs> <laughs> we in IT are a little bit different breed all, all together, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> Angel, those are fantastic pieces of advice. Find a sponsor, find your voice, and schedule a meeting with someone outside your your realm, your yes. area. I think those are fantastic pieces of advice. I really want to thank you for your time today. It has been a wonderful conversation and I so appreciate you. I so appreciate that you have your voice and I appreciate as uh, as a friend that you're willing to share your voice and your insights with me. That means a lot to me, Angel. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for being a part of my network. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information and a link to the book, Dents in the Ceiling. This is Jeff Tun For Angel Henry, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.